Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I'm absolutely honored to have as a guest today, uh, James Scaminacci III, um, who I've actually uh, credit for teaching me about fourth generation warfare when I was researching the Cult of Trump book. And uh, I've been reading his writings. Uh, James, you are a former naval intelligence official. Um, you got a doctorate in political sociology from Stanford. And uh, it was really revelatory for me to understand William Lind and, uh, and his connection with Paul Weirich of the Christian right. And the whole idea of fourth generation warfare, I can attempt to explain it, but you're the expert. And I wanted to have you on today to talk about fourth generation psychological warfare. Uh, the last time we did an interview, you correctly diagnosed uh, January 6th as a military style coup attempt with a lot of distraction, but there was an actual military aspect to that and you were spot on. Uh, and then I'd like you to talk about cryptocurrency and its connection with uh, the right wing and, and its attempts to undermine our government uh, and freedom everywhere. James, uh, thank you so much. Um, tell us what you think we need to know. Well, well, thank you for having me back on the show, Stephen, and congratulations, I guess, on your newly minted PhD, right? Yeah, 2020, uh, December. Yeah. I so, got it. Con so thank congratulations you. on that. I mean, that's a big milestone. It's a big um, validation, if you will, of your work. Thank uh, you. So, um, yeah, be, you know, fourth generation warfare is, is a deliberate strategy of the Christian right, but... It's actually started starts before they they enunciate the strategy of fourth generation warfare, and to give you an idea how far back it goes without really inundating you with facts, um, Richard Hofstadter uh, wrote a book in the nineteen sixties um, called Anti Intellectualism in America, and in the opening introduction, but in the next three chapters that he writes about, he's talking about Protestant fundamentalism being a challenge to the enlightenment and intellectual life in America. And he specifically points to um, Billy Graham hmm. and Billy Graham saying that, you know, the Bible and whatever is in it is more important, more precious, more knowledgeable than all the science put together. Right. So there's the first kind of shot from a mainstream Christian about undermining science. And this only mushrooms. And then you get to the 1980s and there's a guy named Paul Weirich and he is um, plugging in Coors money. And he starts the Free Congress Foundation, which becomes the premier think tank of the Christian right. But he also starts the Heritage Foundation. And it has like a secular view, but it's not really a secular organization. It just has a secular face. Mm -hmm. And the objective of Weirich, he starts in the 1980 with Jerry Falwell of creating the moral majority, is that they are going to capture the Republican Party and they are going to use a multitude of attacks to undermine the federal government. And they're aided by the Christian Reconstructionists, which is a small sect. Nobody really knows much about them, but just get the idea that these are a bunch of theologians who are sitting around going, how do we impose God's will on America? What do we got to do to do that? And they're very good strategists. And then you have another part, and they were just starting, but now they're much larger and called the New Apostolic Reformation or the Third Wave. And these are like non-denominational, but they're evangelical, fundamentalist, charismatic, Pentecostal. And their epistemology is, if I believe something, it's true. I have apostles that are talking to God and telling you things that are not in the Bible, but they are true. And it's a completely different 
epistemological basis of reality. And so in 2013, when I was starting off writing, the first chapter I wrote was the epistemological break with reality for the Republican Party and Christianity. Uh And that's because they use conspiracy theories to differentiate between who's on their side and who's not on their side. Satan, you mean? No, Using the devil, right? Yes. And who's with the devil and who's against the devil. And if you format, if you formulate politics of, I'm not really competing against Republicans or, or I'm not really competing against Democrats. I'm competing against the agents of Satan. That's a completely different argument. Yep. Because now you're not talking about should the tax tax rate be 30% or 35%? What kind of effects does it have on business? No, you're dealing with should I make a deal with the devil? That's a completely different argument. And that's where we are now. They look through politics of the prism of satanic agents. And therefore, the Democratic Party is inherently illegitimate because it's working for Satan. Democratic voters are inherently illegitimate because they're working for the party, working for Satan. And that's where our politics are now. Right. So I want to come back to um, fourth generation warfare and tell me if I have it accurate. It's psychological warfare aimed at uh, delegitimizing experts, delegitimizing science, delegitimizing democratic institutions, even uh, demonizing rule of law if the law doesn't go their way, right? right? And it's about you know confusion, disorientation, and they think nothing about encouraging conflict and and ramping it up to cause division and and anxiety and worry. Uh, the world's coming to an end. The apocalypse is coming any second, and only we know, you know, how you're going to live or how you're going to survive. How did I do, James? Yeah, you're doing good. I would tell your audience that here's the way you think about fourth generation warfare as a strategy, and then how you think of fourth generation warfare as it's operationalized or weaponized in real life. Okay. Okay. So fourth generation warfare, you have to understand, comes out of a military community. It was right? William Lind, right? William Lind. But William Lind is 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 feasting on the ideas of John Boyd, who uh-huh. is America's most premier military strategist. And John Boyd is thinking of how do you win war? How do you go to war? How do you win war? And so if you're a, a, a military officer, you know that war, you, you're at the, you know, the tactical level and the operational level and the strategic level. And that's all the three boxes work. John Boyd comes along and he goes, no, it's not quite so simple. You have to add the physical to the tactical, right? You have to add the mental and you have to add the moral to conflict. So now you have nine boxes to worry about. And for your audience, just to, just to get at how do you, how you apply this it, in real life today. So the Russians invade Ukraine. That is a tactical maneuver, right? Mm-hmm. They're winning the physical battle for a while. But what do they do in, less, in the first 72 hours? They completely lose the moral plane of the war. Everybody in the West rushes to Ukraine's aid. You guys are the good guys. You're fighting for democracy. We're going to defend you. And Putin, in the first 72 hours, has lost the war at the moral plane of conflict, even though he is destroying cities and doing, you know, horrible things. Genocide. Terrorism. Genocide. He has lost the moral plane of, of the conflict, which means the West will never give in to Putin at that level. Right. So understand that warfare is very, very complex. So what Boyd says is you got the mental plane of conflict and the moral plane of conflict. And the moral plane of conflict is what's legitimate. Mm -hmm. I follow the president of the United States. I salute the flag. I follow the orders because I have received from the commander in chief legitimate legal 
orders. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe those orders are legal, and he's a legitimate president, we're the military is in a, in, is in a state of confusion. Are we talking about Biden now? No, or? no, no. What I'm saying is the moral level of conflict. Uh-huh. So if you don't think the federal government is legitimate, if you don't think the Democratic Party is legitimate, if you don't think the Constitution is legitimate, we have a crisis of legitimacy, a right. moral, which can only be solved morally, mm-hmm. right? And now you have the part of the Christian right, which is making the divine case that they're divine in quotes, air yes, quotes, divine in air quotes. They're making the case that that they're doing God's work. Trump is doing God's work. Um, everything they do is for the divine plan, and everything that the Democratic Party has ever done will do is on the basis of Satan. That's moral conflict, and in fourth generation warfare. It's not the physical level, and it's not necessarily the mental level. It is the moral level of conflict, where you're t- trying to convince people to transfer their loyalties from the United States of America, from the Constitution of the United States, to the Bible and their interpretation of the Bible, of how society should be organized according to their interpretation of the Bible. So that buys into how so many in the Christian right regard Putin as a man of God because he's anti-gay too and doesn't want women to have equal rights and black people to have equal rights and indigenous people to have equal rights, right? Is that that correct? So in the 1990s, uh, you know, the Blin Wall falls and the Christian right, Paul Weyrich makes about 50 trips to Russia. Right. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to Russia and all these Christian right people are going to Russia and they think they're going to be proselytizing the Russians. Well, who do they meet? Well, they meet the KGB. Yeah. (laughs) Once a KGB, KGB, always a KGB is what I hear. They, you know, they they meet uh, Krill, who's the uh, the archbishop or whatever they call him. Of the the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah. He's a KGB agent. So the Christian right guy is he really a KGB agent? Oh yeah, he's really a KGB agent. Oh, that's new for me. They were all KGB agents. So, so, so the 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 Christian right guys, Paul Weyrick and all these guys, they go over to Russia. They're going to start preaching the Bible, blah blah blah, and they're being recruited by the KGB. The KGB is taking notes. How do you speak to these people? What do they really understand? Blah 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 blah. And lo and behold. Vladimir Putin, atheist extraordinaire, KGB colonel, all of a sudden, he fashions himself with the help of Krill as the defender of Orthodox Christianity, and he is the last Christian leader in the in the Western world. And you have all these Christian right leaders now going, that's the guy we want. That's the guy we want. And this isn't supposedly, was it Moscow is the third Rome or something? Exactly. exactly. So... The Russian Orthodox, the thing about the Russian Orthodox Church as opposed to some of the other churches is the Russian Orthodox Church, there's no separation between church and state. It is subservient to the state. Whatever the state wants, the state gets. Stalin used the Russian Orthodox Church to defend Russia in World War II. People were fighting not for Stalin or communism. They were fighting for Mother Russia. They were fighting for the Russian Orthodox Church that they that they could not go to. So Putin and Krill put together this whole narrative for the Christian right in America, that they are the third Rome, the last man standing in the West for uh, traditional values, traditional hierarchy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these guys in the Christian right in America have bought a hook, line, and sinker. They're basically Putinists. Because I I put in the chapter seven of the cult of Trump in terms of the puppet masters, Putin was at the top of the list. Uh, You know, then I went into the family and Opus Dei that says the Pope is satanic because, you know, he he supports uh, uh, poor people and and global climate needs to be protected and other uh, such things. But um, I, I, I just I. I really want my listeners to to have a that new perspective instead of saying, "Oh, the GOP are crazy 
Or how can these people, they must be stupid because they're believing this. And I'm trying to say they are trusting the wrong people. They've been lied to and they've been manipulated to think right. they're actually following Jesus and God when right. they are deceived. So let's go back to 1980. And this is to the point you're trying to make. Great. You go back to 1980, and there's the Coalition on Revival. And there's a lot of books written about it, and so I'm grossly simplifying what's happening. Okay. But everybody knows that fundamentalists and evangelicals and charismatic and Pentecostals at one point in this country really don't agree. Oh, they, they hated agree. each other. They, they thought the Catholic other, right? Church was Satan. Right incarnate, right. vice so versa. They all disagree with each other, but the Coalition on Revival goes, listen, it doesn't matter if you believe Jesus is coming and then the, then the kingdom is happening or the kingdom is happening, then Jesus is coming or, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's just put aside all these theological debates and go, what do we have to do to build the kingdom here and now? How do we get to impose our morality, our interpretation of the Bible on other Christians, uh, Catholics who are Christian, but, you know, Catholics in specific, right. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists. How do we get to impose our totalitarian view of the Bible? And they go, when you put the problem that way as a moral conflict, all of a sudden, all these people who have different ideas about when Jesus is coming and going can agree that, yeah, the enemy is the Democratic Party, the Enlightenment, science, philosophy, and that's their... Yeah, like, secularism that, was secularism, and liberalism and progressivism is so evil. Understand that there's they adopt this strategy of fourth-generation warfare, which is the highest level of conflict is moral conflict. I am going to undermine the legitimacy of your institutions, your constitution, your political parties, um, presidencies, and stuff. That's just the general strategy. I see. Right? It's at the moral level. I want you to withdraw your loyalty to America, loyalty to a secular constitution, to a religious movement that has a totalitarian, authoritarian uh, goal of imposing its moral values on the rest of society. Right, so that's but, at to the be clear, but to be clear, they but, would never call themselves totalitarianism. No, no, they just not. think they're following God, almighty but God. That's at the strategic level and sort of like the meta-strategic level. Okay. But let's bring it down to the operational stuff of what you really see. Yeah. So what you really see is Newt Gingrich going, Democrats are traitors back in the 1990s. Right. Tea Party. Bill, before the Tea Party, ah. Newt Gingrich is attacking the very basis of Congress that Bill Clinton is the illegitimate president. Um, he, he didn't win. He didn't win legally. He makes a war on science that Mooney writes in his book, The Republican War Against Science. They are getting money from obviously the corporations to do that, the oil companies and things like that. But what you see is an attack on the legitimacy of the Democratic Party. You see an attack on Democratic voters. Even today, why do you want to have suppressed the vote? Because you don't believe Democratic voters are legitimate Americans, yeah. that they are legitimate voters, that they have legitimate interests and values. So since you don't want to say that you really don't think they're real Americans, although some people will say that, what you go is, well, we got to stop cheating. We got to stop this. We got to stop that. You don't think gays should have gay rights. So you make up stories about gays or predators. You don't think women should have rights. So you make up stories about how this is undermining the family and it's when they're not. Right. The, it's always the intent. Am I tearing down somebody or an institution or a practice or a document or a doctrine? And that's what fourth generation warfare is operationalized. You have they they and they ran these things in parallel, right? All at the same time. So you could have a you know one year you have an anti-gay. Um, initiative. The next time you have uh, ongoing anti-abortion initiatives, the next time you have anti-immigration issues, then you go back to anti-gay, then you go back to anti-abortion. And it's constant attacking, 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 undermining the legitimacy 
of the federal government, the Democratic Party. Right. So I want to comment that the Manhattan Declaration was a very pivotal moment where Catholic authoritarians and Protestant authoritarians got together and said, let's agree on three areas that we can operate together and partner to uh, for political purposes, undermining women's right to their own reproductive health, undermining gay rights, and increasing uh, religious freedom, meaning they want more freedom to impose their version of Christianity on everyone else, even though the founders of the Constitution wanted a separation of church and state. It was clear that they did not want a state-run religion, but these Christian nationalists, also known as dominionists, want to have dominion on earth now, and so it's all about power, money, and in many cases, sex. Am I uh, yeah, you're speaking? Correct. And so, you know, we start with the 1980, the Coalition on Revival. Uh-huh. By the time of the Manhattan Declaration, they have now formally brought in, you know, Robert P. George and Opus Dei guys, and they have brought in the most authoritarian uh, part uh, of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. who also happened to be against the Pope. Right. Yeah, I've counseled people involved with Opus Dei and such. Right, and the Council for National Policy, and then you get the the. What year was that of, started, James? Do you know? The Council one? for National Policy. That's well, Council, Nelson's Council for work. National Policy starts in the 1980s with Paul Ryrick. Yeah, critically so, important uh, entity, secretive, wanting to bring billionaires together to undermine government authority, regulations. Yeah. So you have to understand that they look at this, this is a war, and when you're at war, you you organize yourself for war, right? So the Council for National Policy is formed at about the same time that Weirich puts together the Free Congress Foundation, which is going to be the strategic right. think tank, tank for the Christian right. Then he puts together the Heritage Foundation, which is going to be the strategic think tank to influence the Republican Party in, in the Congress, Republican right. presidents. It's going to recruit all the little mid-level bureaucrats that are going to And judges the through the and Federalist That's the Federal Society. That comes yeah. a little later. And then you have, um, then you have the Council for National Policy because you have to operationalize things. And so what the Council for National Policy is, look, we have the strategy of the Coalition on Revival. We have the strategy of what we're going to do. How do we bring together political entrepreneurs to run an anti-gay campaign or anti-abortion campaign with funders? And these funders aren't all billionaires. They're the millionaire guys who are at the local level, own the car dealerships and have money to burn, and they can put it into the local Republican Party. They can put it into a ballot initiative. You know, power is at at the real local level. It's not just the Koch brothers. So they bring together these used car salesmen with millions of dollars, um, these political activists, uh, strategists, people who understand uh, the theology of what's going on, put it together and they go, let's launch a campaign. And that's one campaign for that year. They do that for two years. It works. It doesn't work. It gets Republicans in party in, in, into power. And then they start on another campaign. You go right. from. So and- I want to, we could talk for hours, but there's a few more topics I'd sure. love to get your knowledge and expertise with. Um so after January 6th happened, very shortly after, I saw you messaging, hey, this doesn't look like just a mob thing that just happened. This seems like a much more organized thing. And we did an interview and you correctly right. diagnosed it. Would you share for our listeners what sure. you saw? So January 6th, I really wasn't paying all that much attention. I mean, it's like, you know, the, watching the paint dry, you know, you're going to open up the ballots and have Biden won or, you know, two, four years before, you know, Trump won. So I'm not really paying attention, but, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch, see what's going on. And then I'm, I'm looking at the TV and there's this mob of folks at, the, you know, the west side of the Capitol. And I'm going, whoa, as it's going on, I tweet out, this is a military attack. The, the, the mob is just the cover 
for the real attack that's coming on. Now, I don't know what the real attack is going to be, but it's I'm a military intelligence analyst. This is a cover. There's deception. You, you're constantly looking for this kind of stuff. And right. so I tweet out, this is an attack. There's a military attack on the Congress right now. Right. Right during it happened. Yep. So then months later, I look through all of the, I'm looking through the videos and I'm looking through the, the, the DOJ filings and I go, this is the attack. This is how they did it. And I work out the avenues of approach that they had. Um, they make mistakes. Um, it could have been much worse. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. It, they, they almost pulled it off. I mean, they came within a minute, um, one minute of pulling this off. Mm. And they made a mistake. I don't know why they necessarily made a mistake, but they did make a mistake. But they came within a minute of pulling it off. But you can see that it was a military operation. And I worked it back. I kept thinking about it. And one of the key indicators of when did they really think they were going to attack the Capitol comes when there's a decision made, probably by Roger Stone, but he ultimately accedes to it. But somebody makes a decision that what's really needed to happen is that the Proud Boys need to be freed up on January 5th so that they're not guarding Roger Stone or anybody. They are sitting in their hotel room wondering what they're going to do so that the Oath Keepers can guard Roger Stone and the VIPs. That's a key piece of evidence that I hope the January 6th committee looks at because up until, you know, December, Roger Stone's protected by the Proud Boys. Everywhere he goes, there's the Proud Boys. There's no Oath Keepers. These guys are a bunch of clowns. They're not guarding him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the decision's made. His protective detail of Proud Boys is going to be pulled off. Oath Keepers are going to replace them. The Proud Boys are going to be sitting in a hotel room on January 5th when they can't be in, 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 get in trouble. And on January 6th, they're going to lead the attack. They're the special operations troop of, the, of, of Trump. Mm-hmm. They're the ones leading the attack, and they get the normies, what they call the normies, to do their dirty work for them. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, now we have texts, and we are seeing much more information. I believe the January 6th committee has said that they may be open hearings in June, and I'm hoping that um, people like yourself get invited to testify um, about what's going on. Uh, but now I want to turn to another thing that's like almost everywhere. I see ads from Matt Damon, LeBron James. I see PayPal offering free Bitcoin or free cryptocurrency. And when I was first approached about this, I, it just struck me as a multi-level marketing scheme, which is where somebody wealthy at the top says, hey, follow me and you can make a fortune and they get people to pony up money and time to recruit more people, put their money in, and it's the people at the top of the scheme that are waking all the money, and everyone else loses money and gets burned. And it seems to me like this is an overt attempt to undermine uh, the U.S. government and the supremacy of the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. Uh, so what are your thoughts? I, I do I do agree with you. Um, there are a couple of people that have that have been writing about this. I mean, I, I, you know, um, one is a book by uh, David Columbia, G O L U M B I A. Comes from the University of Minnesota Press, and it's called "The Politics of Bitcoin and Software as Right Wing Extremism." That's the full title. Do you have the book handy? You can show it for those who are looking at the video. The, and you've read this book and you think that it's valuable? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Absolutely valuable. Okay, great. Absolutely valuable. So, and then David Troy has been has been tweeting about it like, uh, like a crazy Yeah, man. Dave is an, a, a colleague, a disinformation yeah. researcher. Yeah, and... so Dave's been, Dave's been on this like uh, white on snow and uh, <laughs> has just been covering it, uh, you know, tremendously. I got, you know, hats off to him, kudos. But uh, so Bitcoin, before there's Bitcoin, there's gold. Yep. They're the gold bugs. And the gold bugs are, again, another avenue of fourth-generation warfare against the Federal Reserve System, but this time they're attacking American currency, money. If you don't believe in money, 
You don't believe the money that's in your pocket. You don't believe the government. Right. Right. So they're going to attack money and they create this thing of, well, it's all fiat currency and it's all high inflation and blah, blah, blah. And you ought to put your money in gold, which, of course, would sink the economy faster than, than throwing a boulder in the, in, in, into a lake. So but it's all it comes out of right wing extremism. It all comes out of this cesspool, this political cesspool of white supremacy and Christian nationalism and libertarian, you know, anarcho libertarianism, which has its links. If you read, especially, I would tell your readers to go to uh, Fardell's Vare or altrightorigin.com and read a scholar of scholars, John Jackson. And he links up libertarianism in the 1950s and 60s with Holocaust denial and fascist writers. So this has a long history of just one strand where you're attacking the money that comes out of this white supremacy, white nationalist, fascist attack on the U.S. government, but they're using money. Anti-Semitic, now, of, too, I might add. And anti-Semitic. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, yeah. I said Holocaust denial, yep. but, you know, anti-Semitic. And that was w- back in the days when the Ron Paul nutcases were um, dealing with uh, gold. Mm-hmm. And now gold is not doesn't have the pizzazz that it has. Now Bitcoin is the thing that's supposed to undermine the Federal Reserve System. Mm-hmm. And what he talks about in, in there is how he links the, the rhetoric of Bitcoin to the rhetoric of white supremacy and the, and the contradiction that, uh, which, you, which I'll get to the point you make, the contradiction is that it's a speculative asset so you can make lots of money and it's supposed to be a currency. Well, nobody has dollars in their wallet because it's a speculative currency. The dollar I have in my wallet is supposed to buy a dollar's worth of goods right. today, tomorrow, next week. It's not right. supposed to be worth a dollar today and ten dollars tomorrow and ten cents the day after. That's right. just totally ludicrous. But that's Bitcoin, and yep. so they 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 tell you it's an asset that you can make money on, and the only people going to make money on are the secret owners of the big Bitcoin. Right. And then they tell you it's a currency, but it's not a currency because it's right. worth one thing one day and it's worth worthless the next day, and it's all fly by night scams going on right now. Right, but and it's, it's an a, attack. It, yeah, go ahead. It's an attack on the money. It's attack on the Federal Reserve System, and it's attack on, uh, really on the society itself. It's an attack on America. I can't help but keep thinking about how upset Putin was when the Soviet Union fell, and I think that's part of the motivation of why he just launched an invasion on the Ukrainian people. But he wants to destroy America. Like he feels like the you know. Yes, the Soviet Union fell. We want to restore it to greatness. But part of that in his planning, it seems to me, is the demise of the power of the United States and the power of the U.S. dollar and his alliance with Xi and China. And maybe he wants the, you know, and ruble's never going to be the world's currency, but maybe the yuan is. I don't know. But it's just, I want to come back to a critical point um, things are not normal in 2022, and what you have and I have both realized and learned is that there's been a long game that's been operating for decades to undermine the separation of church and state, to undermine the power and prestige of the United States and its quest to uh, advance human rights, um, and unless everybody realizes there are people who are anti-American, fundamentally anti-constitution, and this is a war. Like this is, you know, this is not a normal time where we should get distracted by lots of other policy issues. These people need to be, we, we need to make sure they're not voted in in the midterms or in the 2024, or we're gonna lose the rule of law in the United States. And what do you think? Absolutely. They have had a strategy since 1980 of undermining a secular, liberal constitution, which is the separation of church and state, which is the idea enshrined in the constitution that there are no religious tests for political office. 
The right. first, I've tried to tell tell people, the first treaty we ever signed, in, I think it was 1789, the Treaty of Tripoli. Now, 1789, the guys who wrote the Declaration of Independence, the guys who ratified the Constitution, many of those guys are in Congress, yeah. right? They are the originalists of the original, right? The first treaty goes, being as we are not a Christian nation, we can sign a treaty with a Muslim nation, which was Libya. We're not a Christian nation, and yet the Christian right wants to impose this idea that we are a Christian nation and they have their idea of what Christian values are and their idea of what the social hierarchy should be and who people can love and who people can, who can vote and who can go where, who can come in, who can leave. And this is what it's all about. But understand that it's a long-term strategy to you transferring your loyalty from a document, the Constitution, to their interpretation of the Bible. And that's what this fight's about. It's a moral fight. And you can only fight it at the moral level. That's so important. And I want to state categorically that um, Christians uh, who, are, who are devout, uh, the people that I know, uh, they worship Jesus and they follow the Bible. And these groups are following self-proclaimed apostles or prophets who claim to get direct revelations of, from God and are doing the bite model of authoritarian control, controlling behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions to make people dependent and obedient. And uh, they really are authoritarian cults in the cult mm -hmm. of Trump. And it seems like the media still doesn't understand this key point. Yeah, the media cannot conceive, uh, the media cannot conceive that a group of Americans who are not card-carrying uh, communists, right, actually have a strategy, have been executing a strategy to destroy the United States government and the Constitution. The, the mainstream media just cannot wrap their heads around what is so blatantly obvious in front of them. Right. And because they're not communists, you see, they right. come there with, they come there with Billy, you know, uh, Franklin Graham and, you know, uh, the other guy, you know, the Jerry Falwell Jr., you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. And, you know, here's an apostle and here's a prophet and here's a, a guy with a Bible. And the, and the media just shine off of, of, of even talking about it because, oh, well, we don't want to dis disparage somebody's religion. And it's like, wait a minute, you know what? There are, as devout Christians who oppose them, there are Methodists who oppose them, and they're, they're, the Lutheran, the Methodists and Lutheran churches are being attacked by these people so that they can seize their church property. Yep. This is a, a intra-religious war. It's a political war. It's a moral conflict war. And you can't pretend that you're a journalist, that A, you don't see it, and B, you don't even know how to cover it. Right. It's right in front of you. They, they've never hidden it. All you have to do is, is Google Coalition on Revival. There's like 42 different documents. And it says, what is the purpose of government? Well, you know, you can look at the Constitution of the United States. We, the people, form the Constitution to form a more perfect union, provide for the common defense. What is the core Coalition on Revival? What is the purpose of government? To impose Jesus Christ on the American people. Now, mm -hmm. if you are a, a journalist, you have a bachelor's degree or, you know, maybe even a PhD, you want to be able to read plain English and understand what you're reading. Right. Exactly. A thousand percent. So all I can say is I'm grateful to know people like yourself who have the military intelligence background, who've gone and done the scholarly work to understand political sociology. I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, we're months away from the midterms, uh, the pr next presidential election, and it just seems to me like, like we should stop talking about the GOP or just calling them names, but talk about people who love America and the Constitution and rule of law and human rights versus authoritarians. I think the Democratic Party, starting with President Biden, who I, I support, but starting with President Biden, 
has to begin articulating daily the vision they have for this country as a moral statement. Mm -hmm. What do we stand for in the level of morality? What do we think is legitimate political discourse? What do we want to achieve? Why do we want to achieve it? How are we going to achieve it? And, and, and go to the American people and say, this is a moral issue. Right. These are moral issues. Right. And speak to the people in terms of a moral narrative of who we are as an American people, what do we want to achieve, and what do the other guys want? And use the George Lukács truth sandwich. Here's the truth. This is the lie they are telling you, and there's like 50 different lies. Right. And then here's the truth. And always use the truth sandwich. This is the truth. This is a lie. This is the truth. Understand you're in a moral conflict. Just state your values. State your goals. State what this is all about why you should stand up for the Democratic Party, why you should vote for Democrats, why Democratic voters should be able to have the right to vote, have their vote counted. Right. And stop acting as if that there's some kind of bipartisan thing that you can reach out to. Mitch McConnell is not in, interested in bipartisanship. He's interested in making Biden a one-term president, and Trump wants to make the United States a fascist dictatorship. Yes, I, I really agree with you. And there's a lot of people who are listening, who are activists, who don't like the Democratic Party, they're independents, or maybe they haven't even registered to vote. But for me, I want to appeal to everybody, especially those who haven't registered to vote, to register. And I want to appeal to independents. You may not like Biden or the Democratic Party, but the alternative is so bad. We need you. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I'm an atheist or agnostic. It just depends on the day. Um, <laughs> but but I, I would, you know, I would tell, you know, my fellow atheists, humanists, you know, that politics is about addition and multiplication. And we're going to need devout Christians. We're going to need devout Jews and Muslims that believe in the real separation of church and state that believe in the real religious freedom, that the government will not interfere with your beliefs. I may not agree with your beliefs because I'm an atheist, but I will defend your right to believe that, whatever you want. And we need these people as allies with us, not to attack their religious beliefs, but to say, hey, we need a secular government because that will allow religion to flourish, not we need a religious government to suppress all the religions. Yeah, and I want to say that I am uh, identified as a Jew. I belong to a Jewish temple for 23 years, and I look at, and I've been counseling people out of, people out of all types of religious authoritarian cults, Jewish cults, Christian cults, uh, Muslim cults, Buddhist cults, Hindu cults, the whole range, but <laughs> At least for the Abrahamic religions, Judaism and Christianity and Islam, they all believe in the great commandment, which is love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's a love commandment, not a fear commandment. It's not a hate commandment. It's a love commandment. And us Jews believe in one. God is one, and that means all of God's creatures, even if they don't believe in God, they're still precious. They each exactly. have a divine spark or a specialness to each individual mind and conscience. And I just did a blog, uh, James, about Ayn Rand and her cult of selfishness, be because um, this is the Fountainhead and, and Atlas Shrugged. So many politicians and celebrities were, are like, yeah, great book. I love it. And it's like, what? If you believe that human beings have succeeded as a species because we're selfish, I no way. It's about cooperation. It's about taking care of each other and helping each other survive against environmental odds and other kinds of famine and droughts, etc. And this notion that we should all be isolationists and we shouldn't care if a nuclear bomb goes off in Ukraine or Poland, there's wind <laughs> and there's pollution and Putin's not going to stop. 
you know, yeah. by being appeased either. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I lost my faith, you know, along the way. I, I grew up Catholic, right? Uh-huh. And I, lo- I just lost my faith along the way. But there's, there's a transcendence to Catholicism or even Christianity or Judaism or even Islam of everybody's in this human family. Yes. Right? I mean, you could be Catholic and Chinese, you could be Catholic and African, you could be uh, uh, Catholic and come from uh, Latin America or from Europe, and we're all Catholic, or you're all Jewish, or you're all Muslim. And there's this like egalitarian, that's not me, there's this egalitarianism uh, in Christianity or in religions Mm -hmm. that's... Yeah, Abraham was said, I keep my tent open for the stranger. They may need water, they may need, you know, shade or food. They're welcome. Like that kind of mentality, we need that morality. I'm coming back to, you know, you're talking about the solution to fourth generation warfare is understanding it, but also having the higher moral vision that can really mobilize people to action, to realize we are our brother's keeper. We really yeah. do need to take we care of each in, other. You know, we're all Americans, basically. And that's and, and, and the argument is we're all Americans. Yep. At the end of the day, you know, we're all Americans. We could be Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, gay, straight, whatever, white, black. We're all Americans, and we have a common problem that right. we have to deal with. And we have right. to learn how to, how to talk to each other on a moral basis and a civil basis and we have one political party that doesn't want to cooperate. Right. And I'll just expand it as we wrap up that, because I have listeners from around the world, that I don't think America is, you know, great, you know, great in the sense of we haven't, we made a ton of mistakes. We've done horrible policies in so many ways, interfered with other countries' elections and, and done fourth generation warfare on other countries too. But for me, the way I'm seeing it, James, is authoritarianism versus people who who want democracy and human rights. And it's it it's shaping up that way. And the authoritarians want to use fear and they want to control information and do propaganda. And we need to realize, you know, free speech is not free. There are responsibilities, and the law respects that. We can't be free to punch someone in the nose, even though we're can, angry at them. Can I make one last statement about Corporation? Okay. So when John Boyd was talking about moral conflict, he wants he's looking at it in terms of how do you tear a society apart? How do you tear an army apart? How do you tear some kind of whole apart? And he goes, You use menace and anxiety and fear. Mm. And when you're listening to Putin or Trump or some Republican or some leader in your country, and they're appealing to you on the basis of creating a sense of menace, a sense of anxiety, a a sense of fear, that's fourth generation warfare because they want to tear people apart. They want to tear the organic whole together that you say we're all Americans or we're all Ukrainians. They want to tear that apart and then impose their will upon you. Yeah, it's very important. And I, I forgive me, but I want to just comment that I've been attacked by Trump supporters and MAGA folks that I'm in a cult of liberalism and George Soros or whatever, <laughs> or I've been brainwashed. And But I, I really believe and I've been saying this consistently for 46 years since my deprogramming from the Moonies, the way to help people who've been mind-controlled into an authoritarian cult, black and white, all or nothing, good versus evil ideology, is through love and respect and kindness and reaching out and not calling them names and blocking them and muting them. I wrote against cancel culture on the left and the right. The way through this is going to be to be nice to everyone. And it's what helps people wake up is when, oh, wait a minute, I hate Jews because I joined the white supremacist party, but my boss who's a Jew is feeding me a sandwich because he sees I'm hungry. Hmm. 
you know, like that. <laughs> and my friend Arno, who is a white supremacist, said that those types of interactions with supposedly evil enemy people who are nice cause the greatest uh, force to help them reevaluate. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. Do I like mm -hmm. living this way in hatred and fear? Uh, no, I don't. So there is hope, but we need everybody to realize tuning out, binge watching films or video gaming and saying it's help hopeless, so I'm not going to get involved with voting or being an activist or helping my neighbor. Like I'm doing a moral appeal. Like this is really important everybody to, to realize we do have individual power and each person can contribute to the level of their expertise. So I'm very grateful to you, uh, Dr. James Scaminacci, uh, for your the third. Uh, <laughs> I know that. The, and um, let's talk again soon. But thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.